0: This Bible Study Podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning. Well, last week, we looked at the life of Daniel, and Alyssa zoomed us out in perspective to a wide-angle view in which she showed us how our small story is incorporated into um, his larger story, that there's many, there's many stories. There's our small story, then there's the story of the country, then there's the story of the cosmos, and then there's God above all of that. It helped to um, realize that God's in control, and even though there's all these things going on around us that we can't understand ourselves, knowing that he is the designer, he is the sovereign one who is in control. I found this especially helpful, her teaching um, last week when, when our country decided on a president and when I saw our country um, end up in great division. And we're still in that and we're struggling. And it's helpful to remember that God is in control. His bigger story is being played out. But amidst that, we also get to be a part of that story, as Alyssa reminded us. Our smaller story is also a part of his redemption. He has a plan. And this can give us hope. And this week as we look at Peter, the Apostle Peter, we're going to zoom back in for a closer look at his story. So Peter, he was a man of inconsistencies, kind of sums him up. I love Peter. He was a fisherman from Galilee. He had a, brother, a younger brother named Andrew who introduced him to Jesus. He and Andrew had actually been followers of John the Baptist, and so they were ready. They had, their hearts had been prepared. They had been expecting that Jesus would come. <clears throat> it says that Andrew came and found Peter and introduced him to Jesus. And once he did, Jesus follow, or Peter followed Jesus from that point on. Peter was, um, eventually we find out through the scriptures that his story is recorded in the Gospels. Eventually we find out that he was married and that he went on several missions. And he was one of the, the basic founders of the church. One of the foundational pillars of the church. One of the things about Peter that I love the most about him as I relate to him. Is because he was, as I said, he was a man of inconsistencies. He was bold yet timid. He was self seeking, but self sacrificing. He was sometimes spiritually perceptive and sometimes very slow to understand spiritual matters. He once walked on water as he looked at Jesus and then immediately sank as he took his eyes off Jesus. Do you guys relate to that? I know I do. The greatest example of his inconsistency was his confession when he said, You are the Messiah. And then a, while, then a while later, our study ends with him saying, I don't know this man, denying Jesus three times. So basically, we've just been introducing Peter, that he was a common man. He was a man from Galilee. He was a fisherman. He and Andrew were fishermen. Andrew was his younger brother who introduced him to Jesus. And they both left. When Jesus came and invited them to follow them, they both left And immediately followed him. They surrendered their lives to follow him. And he was a man of inconsistencies. So if you look at this graph, if you did a graph of um, Peter's spiritual life, it might look like this. I kind of drew this up the other day. And as I said, he had these high points where he began to follow Jesus. He might start there. Then he walked on water. He saw Jesus. He hopped out of the boat and went to meet Jesus when he saw Jesus walking on water towards him. But then in the next minute, it looks like complete failure, he sinks as he takes his eyes off Jesus. Then the next point in his journey, he recognizes Jesus as the Christ. When Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. So there's another high point in his spiritual life. And then a little while later, he urges Jesus not to go to the cross. He says, don't do that. That's crazy. That's crazy. In other words, and then Jesus says, Peter, you're acting like Satan. Get behind me. I am supposed to go to the cross. Do not interrupt what God has planned. Then you see Peter up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Here again, he's up at this high point. He gets to see Jesus in all his glory um, with John and James. And it's this phenomenal moment, and Peter wants to stay there. I mean, can you imagine the high of seeing God in his glory here on earth? but then the next moment you see him arguing just like us arguing with his fellow disciples who could be the greatest here on earth and wondering who am i who am i am i going to be the greatest and then you see him in the garden of gethsemane being a good friend to jesus praying with him hanging out there in tears with him in grief but then as as the night goes long you see him falling asleep when he's praying and then you see him defending, again, forgetting that Jesus is supposed to suffer and attempting to stop the soldiers from arresting Jesus and cutting off a man's ear. And then eventually you see him denying Christ three times. He's inconsistent. He has highs and he has lows. I love that Peter was an ordinary fisherman. He's, in Acts 4.13, it says that he was unschooled he came before the leaders and teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin. And when they saw him, this is after Jesus had died. We're fast-forwarding to Acts for a moment. And he's announcing, he's bringing in the church. And he's speaking toward before the Sanhedrin with boldness about Christ. And what I love about this is the Sanhedrin, the rulers and elders, the actual teachers of the law, when they see Peter at this point, they call him um, unschooled and ordinary. They're like, who is this guy? So again, we see that he start, he's an ordinary, common person. His education wasn't that great. He would have been trained in biblical... Um, he would have had biblical training. He would have known about the law, but he would not have studied under a rabbi. He was just an ordinary fisherman. He'd learned the ropes of fishery, fishing from his father. He was in business with his brother, fishing... And that was his life, but he met Jesus, and he decided to follow Jesus. See, God calls ordinary people, and he makes them extraordinary. This is not the first time God called an ordinary person, as you'll remember in our study, who we've just looked at. We've looked at Abraham, Jacob, Sarah, Ruth, Daniel. These are all ordinary people, but through their relationship with God, through their journey with God, they become extraordinary. So how does an ordinary person become extraordinary? Or in other words, how does an ordinary person become part of God's redemptive purpose? Again, it's that small story within God's larger story. And in theology, it's referred to as sanctification. In other words, it's a spiritual journey, but sanctification is what the term is. In the scripture, God calls all humans to be holy as he is holy. To sanctify means means commonly to make holy. That is to separate from the world and consecrate to God. And you see this in the Old Testament. God did this with the Israelites. He said, be holy as I am holy. And then he gave them the Ten Commandments to separate them from those around him. This was sanctifying them. This was making them holy, making them his people. The generic meaning of sanctification is, means, it means the state of proper functioning. So, to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by the designer. So, take my glasses here. These become sanctified when I put them on. I'm using them as they're intended by the designer. Or maybe this microphone. It becomes sanctified in the generic sense when I begin to speak into it because I'm using it as it was intended, as it was designed. So in the theological sense, if you take that generic meaning, a person is sanctified when he or she she lives according to God's design and purpose. So God takes the common and ordinary thing and that person or thing becomes sanctified when it's used for his greater purpose, for his design and purpose. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, Peter offered his body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It wasn't about how many high points he had or how many low points he had, it was about him offering his body as a living sacrifice. He was being sanctified, he was on a journey. This process of sanctification began when he said yes to following Jesus. So what else can we learn about this process of sanctification, or let's call it spiritual growth? The first thing that we can learn about it, especially from Peter's life, is that it's a process. And I love how Jessica Lagrone said... The process of change, and she's talking about sanctification and spiritual growth. She said the process of change that makes us more and more like Jesus is more like a slow cooker than a microwave. That's hard for us to grasp in this instant gratification culture. We have everything at our fingertips. We have instant messaging. We can go to the store instantly. We can log on to Amazon. I love Amazon Prime. If I need something in my house and I don't wanna go to the store, I click on there and it's gonna be in my house within two days. We have instant gratification here. Or if you watch home shows or anything like that, you'll notice that within the hour, a house is turned from a ragged rundown thing to this beautiful luxury home that you wanna live in. It's instant. And we buy into this and we think, oh my goodness, everything should be this fast. And we get impatient with ourselves. But we got to remember that, as Jessica said, it's a slow cooker process. It's not a microwave, it's not that quick fix. We also need to realize it's not mechanical, there's not a formula for spiritual growth. It's a journey, and it's worked out daily in our lives as we walk with Jesus. And as we are faithful, And as we serve, and we depend, and we trust, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and that title, to me, sums up what sanctification is. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Barbara. We had a a service here at the church, and I'm not sure how many of you were there. But uh, Julie Reed spoke, and one of the things she mentioned was the name of this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it just so perfectly summed up Barbara's life from the past 20 years that I've known her. She's had a faithfulness in serving God. She's had a long obedience in the same direction. She's continued to say yes to him through the ups and downs of ministry, through the divisions in the church, through her own personal divorce, through schooling, getting a new career, Through different turns, through ministry changes, through personal struggles, she has had a long obedience in the same direction. So, spiritual growth, what it does is it encompasses a lifetime of decisions made in the same direction. Spiritual growth another thing we can learn about spiritual growth is that we're not in control of the process. Matthew 16, it says, when Jesus came to the region, to the disciples, he asked them, as we mentioned earlier, he said, who do you say I am? And Peter immediately responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Simon's faith was revealed to him by God. And again, this goes back to our whole theme of our whole study, that we were talking about in the very beginning. God comes to us, He transforms us, and it's a whole project that, or a process of transformation and revelation. So this whole transformation, anything that happens within us, is due to God's revelation. It's Him working in us, it's Him showing us. It's Him moulding us, it's Him forming us. Philippians 2.13 is one of my favorite verses. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See again, it's God who works in us according to his good purpose. We're part of his redemptive purpose. That's part of being sanctified. Robert Mulholland, who wrote this wonderful book called Invitation to a Journey, says, spiritual formation is the great reversal It's from being the subject who controls all other things. That's what we like to think. We like to think that we're in control of all other things around us. To being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. Do you see that? Do you see that surrender in there? From being the person who controls all things to being the person shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. There's a posture of yielding and of rest, of dependence, rather than a posture of trying to control and make everything go the way you think it should. It's a journey of discovering who we are in God, what our purpose is, and where he will take us. But self-reliance is deeply ingrained in each of us, and so that's the battle that we have to fight. We can also hinder this process by being too busy. Most of us end our day, I know I do, tired, worn out, exhausted, and drained because we live our life too fast. We speed through life. We keep saying yes to things. We keep fitting more things in our schedules. We keep doing rather than being. And we mistake our doing as spiritual growth, as part of our relationship with God, when really he just says, come be with me. Listen to me. Stop being so busy. Come sit with me and learn from me. Spiritual growth is not running faster, as in more meetings, more Bible studies, more prayer meetings, more service meetings. Spiritual growth happens when we slow our activity down. If we want to meet Jesus, we can't do it on the run. If we want to stay on the road of faith, we need to hit the brakes, And head to a rest stop and pull over and hang out with Jesus. The third thing I wanted to point out about spiritual growth as we looked at Peter's story is that you see that spiritual growth includes failure. There's this common myth and saying that failure should be avoided at all costs. One of my son's middle school teachers um, said to him, Don't try, succeed. And my son came home and he was talking to me about it. He goes, Mr. So and so said not to try. He said, because trying you might fail. He said, you have to succeed. And we were talking about it. And I go, well, that gave you the message that there's no room for trying and failing, for trying and seeing what happens, what the outcome is. It gave you the message that perfection was demanded and expected. Peter was fallible, he was weak. He was sometimes knocked down, but he was always getting up and resuming following Jesus. And what I saw in Peter is that his failures were the primary cause for his maturity, for his understanding of some of Jesus' greatest teachings. You see, spiritual growth thrives in the midst of our failures, not in the absence. And our failures will come. The real enemy of spiritual growth is perfection, is fear, is playing it safe, is not being willing to step forward when God says go. Those are the real enemy of spiritual growth. I think of this in a simple way of just even when I'm teaching my kids something, um, like if I want, I've been, this summer I wanted them to learn to cook breakfast because I thought that's a good skill, life skill going forward. But the problem with teaching your kids to cook breakfast is then you've got this huge mess in your kitchen. We start with pancakes. We've got flour everywhere. We have milk spilled everywhere. We've used way too many dishes. Um, Pancakes are huge. Some are huge. (laughs) Some are small. And it it turns out to be this thing where if I let my perfection side of me control it, I won't allow them to cook because they're going to mess it up. But if I let go of that perfection, that desire for everything to be perfect, for me to do less cleanup, for my kitchen to look all neat, for the pancakes to be the perfect size, then my kids get an opportunity to learn. Their failure brings learning and a learning experience. There's an excerpt written by Andrew Swisher and he writes about the he calls it the success and failure. He says failure is not a lack of success, but rather a necessity for success. Failure is an essential building block for moving forward. It lays the foundation for learning and understanding. He says, "Let's face it. We humans are flawed. No matter what we are destined for, no matter what we are destined for failure in some capacity. Failure is not a roadblock that we need to avoid. It's part of our lives." How we meet it and what we learn as a result from it is what matters. So you could say, rather than avoiding failure by all means necessary, it should be something that you embrace, that you reframe. So the next time you're feeling down because of failure, lift your head up and learn something from it. Change the narrative of what failure means to you, how you perceive it, how you will meet it. Will you choose to meet it with reluctant yet open arms? Or will you avoid it at all costs and play it safe and only seek the opportunities that guarantee success? And if so, you'll want to ask yourself, which is the bigger risk in the long run? Will you take the risk, the risk of failing, of falling, or will you play it safe? And which is the bigger risk? Failure is a part. success. We learn from it. We grow. If you look at that graph I showed you earlier, Peter's life, it's up here on the screen again. Notice the low points. The first one where I wrote, Peter sank when he took his eyes off Jesus after walking on water. What if we looked at that as Peter learned to walk in full dependence upon Jesus not that he sank, he realized that if he took his eyes off Jesus when he was in a situation in over his head, that, that, would, that he would fall. He learned that he had to keep his eyes fully on Jesus in situations where he was trusting and stepping out. And when, Jesus, when Peter urged Jesus to reject the cross, what if we reframe that and say, Peter came to understand that it was through the cross that Jesus healed And that Jesus died for all our sins through the cross. He learned a fantastic lesson. That wasn't a horrible moment. That was a fantastic lesson where he got the glimpse that our Christ is one who suffers for us, who dies for our sins. And when he was arguing with the disciples who would be the greatest, moments later he learned that being the greatest was the one who serves. As Jesus took off his... um, his towel around his waist, wrapped a towel around his waist, and took the role of a servant and washed his feet. So see, if he hadn't asked that question of who would be the greatest, he may not have connected the dots to realizing, oh, the greatest is the one who serves, the one who washes the other's feet. And when Peter denied Christ three times, your study pointed this out. The beauty of that is he came to understand grace in a way that no one else could have. He wasn't covered in shame, but God came to him in grace and said, Peter, I love you. He restored him fully. He reminded him who he was. We assume that the high spots um, are the only way that we come to know God. And we make value judgments that the low points are our failures. But as you see, both are opportunities for growth. And if you look at the line, you'll see that the line is still going in the direction towards God. That's the only key part, is that we're going in the direction towards God. It's the long path of obedience. Whether it's in failure or whether it's in success. Whether it's in high points or low points. It's the direction the long path of obedience. It's when we get back up from that failure and keep moving towards God. So, by God's grace, Peter's failures changed a man who was impulsive, who was unpredictable, who was ordinary, who was common, into a man who was steady, faithful, reliable willing to step out in faith, willing to keep his eyes on Jesus no matter what the risk, willing to follow God. And he became the rock. The simple man who was previously named Simon became the rock that the church was built on. In other words, the one who stumbled became the rock on which God built his church. It was a long obedience in the same direction. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for Peter's story. I thank you for including it in the scriptures. I think so often, even when we go on social media, Lord, if you look at Facebook, usually the highs are the only things that are posted, the points of um, where we feel excited about something or that we've learned something new or the joy that we have. But, Lord, we forget that the lows are also part of our journey, too, and that they are opportunities for growth and change and new insights and new understanding. Lord, help us to embrace all of it. Help us free us from any shame that is holding us into into an area of condemnation for one of our past failures. I pray this morning that you would free any woman who is feeling that this morning and on Thursday morning as well, Lord. I pray that you would remind us that you are in control. Thank you that you are in control. Thank you that we are sanctified as we come to understand our design and our purpose in you and as we yield and surrender to you, Lord. Thank you that we have a divine purpose, Lord. And that is all in the process of our journey with you. Thank you, Lord. Please strengthen us all in a long obedience in the same direction. In Jesus' name, amen.